Would you join me in prayer as we turn to the Word of God? Father God, we, we do, Lord, give you thanks for your Word that you've spoken to us. Lord, we've been reflecting on the early stories of the world that you created. And uh, God, I pray that as we think back to these times of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, open our eyes to the truths of this story. Lord, how these stories speak about your plan to save the world. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to that. God, and also to see, Lord, how these stories speak to us today as we um, are in our own lives and the own circumstances that we encounter each day. Lord, I pray that the truths that we hear in your word today uh, would speak into our lives. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So over the last ten weeks or so, we have been walking slowly through uh, the Bible. And um, we'll get to that in a second. And we've taken, um, we take four weeks uh, to just study the first two chapters of Genesis and five weeks on Genesis 3 through 12. And this is a sermon series on the Bible and God's mission. And we're walking through the story of the whole Bible to see how God is at work to bring about his purpose to fill the whole earth with his glory. Now, I did a bit of calculating this week, and there are 929 chapters in the Bible. And if we continue at this pace, we will finish this series when I am 113 years old. <laughs> so, now, I love Broadway Christian Church, but I do hope that I'm somewhere else when I'm 113. So, uh, we're going to start moving a bit quicker through the story now. We're going to be covering today Genesis 12 through 50, obviously uh, not in great depth, but instead we're going to take a look at one story, the story of Joseph, uh, um, as an example of the story of the patriarchs. And the next week, uh, Pastor Rick is going to be preaching on the Exodus, and we'll take a couple weeks on Exodus, and then we'll take a week on Joshua and Judges, and then we'll move into the stories of David. And uh, the hope is that uh, before Christmas this year, we'll get through the Old Testament story of the Scripture. So that's what we're looking at the next uh, couple of months. But again, today we're going to be looking at the last part of the book of Genesis, which is the story of one of Abraham's great-grandsons named Joseph. Last week we looked at the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and the promises that were made to Abraham. In this calling and blessing and the promises of Abraham, we saw last week is the beginning of God's salvation history. After the stories of the fall in Genesis 3 through 11, then comes the story of Abraham. And that is really the turning point of all of the scriptures. It's the beginning of God's plan to save humanity from our sin and to restore us to his purposes for us. This choosing and blessing Abraham, and then that Abraham and his descendants would be a blessing to the world is the way that God is going to bring about his purposes to save us from our sin, to turn us back to himself, and to fill the whole earth with his glory. 
Now, this past week, I, I came across a, a short video. You've seen it a couple times already today. Um, a, a video that graphically illustrates the story of Genesis, especially from Genesis 12 through 50. And the artists and the storytellers put this together so well and did such a beautiful job that I thought it was a perfect time for us to watch this as we now move from Genesis 12 through Genesis chapter 50. And so uh, I think this will really help uh, illustrate uh, the story of Genesis for us as we continue into the story of Joseph. And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat. And his brothers, because of this, come to hate him. So much so that they plan on killing him. But they don't. They instead just sell him as a slave down in Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, through this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the, the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But 
he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, but God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. So in the book of Genesis, we have these stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and they're all stories about how God is going to take them and use this family to bring about his purposes in the world, which we have said is God's mission to fill the whole earth with his glory. Uh, the video said to return us back to the garden. I think it's the same way to say, uh, the same thing said in two different ways, that God is calling us to fill the whole earth with his glory, to make the whole earth like the Garden of Eden, to make the whole earth a place where human beings honor God and give God praise and worship. That is God's mission in the world. So after the stories of the fall in Genesis 3 through 11, God chooses Abraham. And when God chooses Abraham, he gives him these promises. And the promises are that he would inherit a promised land, that he would have descendants and that they would be a great nation. And he promised that his descendants would be blessed and that they would be a blessing to the nations. And as the second half of the book of Genesis progresses, what we see is that each of the stories of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph focus on one of these promises. The story of Abraham focuses on the promise of receiving the land. Abraham's story is a man who is on a journey to Canaan and eventually inheriting and purchasing a land and being buried there in Canaan. The story of Isaac and Jacob focus on this promise of becoming a great nation. Isaac is, uh, is miraculously born to Abraham and Sarah. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons then become representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this, is a, this story of Isaac and Jacob really focuses on the way that Abraham's descendants will become a great nation. And then in the story of Joseph, which is the longest of the stories in Genesis, is the story that focuses on that final promise that the descendants of Abraham will be blessed and that they will be a blessing. In the story of Joseph, we have an example of one of Abraham's descendants who is blessed and then who God uses to extend that blessing to the nations. You got it? That's Genesis 12 through 50 in 10 minutes. Not bad. But today we're going to look at the story of Joseph, and in this story we're going to see the way that this call to be a blessing, how it's worked out in his life. And what we see in Joseph's life is that God is at work, often in very subtle ways, certainly in ways that we would never expect, certainly in ways that are behind the scenes and not always obvious, and certainly not in ways that Joseph would have chosen for himself and for his life. Because through his life, he goes through great trials and through great sufferings. 
But in all of those circumstances that Joseph goes through, God is at work to bless Joseph and to make Joseph a blessing to the nations. And the key verse of this story is in that last chapter that that the video expressed to us. Turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. In this scene, Joseph and his brothers are all together, and their father Jacob has just died. And their brothers think, our father is dead now. This is Joseph's opportunity now to get revenge on us. Uh, No longer does Joseph need to preserve us for the sake of our father, and they get scared. And Joseph says to them in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. And if you uh, have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to be doing a lot of work at the last part of Genesis here, so it would be beneficial to have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 50, this is what he says in verses 19 through 20. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God is at work in this story to bless Joseph and to make Joseph a blessing to others, even when all the circumstances of the story seem to go against God, even all the characters of the story rebel against God and his purposes for them. God, in spite of all of that, God will bless Joseph and will make Joseph a blessing. And in our sermon last week, we, we heard that we, those who, are, who have faith in Christ, are descendants of Abraham by faith. And that we now are called to participate in these promises made to Abraham. That we, like Abraham and later like Joseph, are people who are blessed and are called then to be a blessing to those around us. And so today I want us to consider the story of Joseph. And consider the way that God was at work in Joseph's life to bless him and to make him into a blessing. And then also to consider how God is at work in our lives to do the same thing. So, after Joseph is sold into slavery, he is bought by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a wealthy man in Egypt, and he buys Joseph, and he brings him into his house to be his slave. Turn to Genesis chapter 39, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. Genesis 39, verses 2 through 6. Now the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Okay, so we have one person here already. Potiphar, who is being blessed by one of Abraham's descendants. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and also in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. First, Genesis tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. Here at the very beginning of this story about Joseph... He's in the land of Egypt. He's outside of Canaan, outside of the promised land. And not only that, he's far away from the chosen family. He's a stranger in Egypt. 
But Genesis tells us that the Lord is with Joseph. God is with him. He has not left him. Joseph has been rejected by his brothers. The people in the world who should care the most about him have rejected him, have sold him into slavery, and now he's a stranger and a foreigner in Egypt. Genesis tells us, though, that the Lord is with Joseph. And we see throughout the story of Joseph while he is in Egypt that Joseph knows that God is with him. He is confident that God is with him. And while Joseph is in a strange land, while he is far away from the chosen family, Joseph lives with a constant awareness that God is present with him. And we see this first with Joseph in Potiphar's house. Joseph lived in Potiphar's house probably seven to ten years. And Joseph probably started in Potiphar's house doing some of the basic mundane tasks of the household. Maybe washing the dishes or sweeping the floor. But he did those things faithfully. He worked hard. He did them well. And it says that in everything the Lord did, the, uh, that Joseph did, the Lord gave him success. And so as he was faithful in those small things, Potiphar gave Joseph more responsibility. And as he did those things well, Potiphar gave Joseph even more responsibility until Joseph became the manager of Potiphar's entire household. And with Joseph in charge, it says that Potiphar was blessed both in the house and in the field, and that Potiphar had nothing to worry about with Joseph in charge. Genesis then goes on to tell us that Joseph was a good-looking fellow. And Potiphar's wife took notice of him, and she asked him to come to bed with her. And I think that the key to understanding Joseph's faithfulness in his frame of mind while he's in Potiphar's house is expressed in his words to Potiphar's wife. Look at verses 8 through 10. She said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing in sin against who? Against God. Joseph was concerned about his relationship with Potiphar, his earthly master. He did want to honor his master, but that was not what was most important to Joseph. What was most important was his relationship with God. Listen, your husband has given me all this responsibility over all of these things. How could I possibly go to bed with you and sin against God? Joseph says, I have been given all of this. How could I sin against God? The Lord is with Joseph, and Joseph knows it. He is living his whole life with an awareness that he is in the presence of God. He went about all of those mundane tasks as a slave and did those tasks in a way that honored the Lord. He was given responsibility in the house, and he was successful, and God blessed him and blessed Potiphar. And then, when the doors were shut... And no one else was looking, and he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. When no one else was looking, Joseph knew that God was there. That he was living in God's presence. So at all times, Joseph lived his life with an awareness that God was with him. And we see in this story that he paid for it. Potiphar's wife was offended. She made up a story, accused Joseph of trying to rape her. And Potiphar threw him into prison. But while Joseph was in prison, guess what? The Lord was with him there, too. Genesis chapter 39, starting in the last part of verse 20, 
But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. While in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph acted honorably there and did whatever he was asked of him there. And the Lord was with him. And then through this crazy set of circumstances, after many years in prison, many years of suffering in prison, Joseph begins to get a reputation in Egypt as one who interprets dreams. And eventually, Joseph finds himself in front of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And while he is standing before Pharaoh, Pharaoh asks him to interpret a dream. And listen to what Joseph says. Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of what of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph says that by himself he has no ability or no power to interpret these dreams. It's only God that enables him to do it. So Joseph acknowledges that his work is done only in the power of God. And so Joseph, through God's power, does interpret these dreams for Pharaoh. And because of that, Pharaoh becomes aware of a famine that's going to come to Egypt and to all of the Middle East. And Pharaoh and Joseph work together to prepare for the famine that's coming. They, they devise a plan to save extra food over a period of time to help Egypt through the hard times. And because of that, Egypt then becomes a blessing to all the nations because they come to Egypt and Egypt is able to give them food. So Joseph... Because of his faithfulness and because of the circumstances of his life, he is able to save thousands of people in Egypt and thousands of people throughout the whole world. God takes Joseph and he makes him a blessing so that the work that Joseph does does not only benefit himself, but also blesses the whole world. Not only that, but Pharaoh himself in his interactions with Joseph, begins to encounter Joseph's God. Pharaoh confesses freely in chapter 41, verses 37 through 40, that Joseph's God is with him. It says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, Joseph, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. At each and every point of his life, Joseph acknowledges that he is living in the presence of God and that he is doing his work out of the power of God. And this is how Joseph is able to endure all of the suffering and all of the injustice that he goes through. He knows that God is with him, that God is working out good things in his life, even through those years of suffering as a slave, even through those years of suffering in prison. And so then, as Joseph becomes an old man, he is able to look back and say to his brothers, Listen, you intended to harm me, but as, as I look back on my life, I see that God intended all of those things and all of those circumstances for good. 
In reading the story of Joseph, it, it is amazing to see how God uses all of these things, the terrible actions of his brother, the, the lying of Potiphar's wife, the, the lying of the, of the baker and the cup, baker, uh, the cup bearer in prison, and then uh, the, the actions of Pharaoh. uses all of these things in order to bring about God's blessing to Joseph and to the world. And I think that when we see this kind of, this big picture of the way that Joseph is a blessing to Egypt and to Pharaoh and to Potiphar, it's really, it's really hard to remember that at the same time, God is not only doing a great work all around Joseph at this time, but he's also doing a really great work in Joseph at this time. All the while that God is using Joseph to bless others, God is also doing a good work inside Joseph's heart as well. In this story, we see God change Joseph's character. Not only is God sovereignly using all of these outside circumstances of Joseph to transform them into good, but at the same time, God is making Joseph on the inside into the kind of person who is a blessing to other people. C.S. Lewis once said, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And the truth is, at the beginning of the story of Joseph, Joseph was a spoiled brat. He was dad's favorite, and he bragged about it. Dad gave him special gifts, and he flaunted them. Early in the story, when he had some dreams that all of his brothers would one day bow to him, he retold those dreams without any reference to God at all. There was no talk about the Lord giving him these dreams or helping him interpret these dreams And because of that, because of his attitude, he was not a blessing to his brothers. He was proud. He was arrogant. His attitudes and actions brought division in his family. But through the circumstances of Joseph's life, God humbled Joseph. Becoming a slave made Joseph a humble person. Becoming a foreigner in another country made Joseph turn to God. God used those difficult circumstances in Joseph's life to prepare him for the work that God, that he would do in Pharaoh's palace. For years, Joseph was the manager of Potiphar's house, and no doubt during that time, Joseph learned all kinds of skills that helped him later as he would go into Pharaoh's house. During that time, Joseph would have learned the ways and the customs and the language of the Egyptians, and during that time, Joseph would have learned the skills of how to manage resources and how to lead people. So God took those circumstances, him as a slave in Egypt, and he used them in Joseph's life to make him a certain kind of person. He used his time in Potiphar's house to prepare him for the time that he would serve in Pharaoh's house. Without that time as a slave in Potiphar's house, he would not have been prepared to take on those responsibilities. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And in the story of Joseph, we read that God is with Joseph. And God does all kinds of amazing things around Joseph's sphere of influence to bring blessing to the nations. But throughout that time, we also see that God was working on Joseph. He was working on Joseph's own heart to make him the kind of person who would be a blessing. God humbled Joseph and turned Joseph to himself. He put him in situations where he would develop skills to become a good manager so that he could then be a blessing to Pharaoh and to Egypt. God was making Joseph into the kind of person who is a blessing to those around him. In fact, we see in this story that God changes Joseph's heart so much that at the end of the story, he's able to be a blessing to those who harmed him the most 
his brothers. In this story, Joseph shows a remarkable ability to forgive. All the suffering that Joseph went through was because of their selfishness and their actions. He was a slave in prison because of them. How easy would it have been for Joseph in all of those years to allow animosity and anger and bitterness towards his brothers to fester in him and to grow? But God was at work in Joseph to help him become the kind of person who was able to forgive even his brothers who rejected him and sold him into slavery. More than anything else, his brothers needed forgiveness. More than the food that they came to get in Egypt, more than anything else, Joseph's brothers needed to experience forgiveness. And because of the kind of person that Joseph had become, he was able to forgive them. He was able to forgive them. Over time, in Joseph's life, he learned that God was in control of all things. And so he says to them, don't be angry at yourselves. While you sold me into slavery for selfish reasons, I know now that God is ultimately the one who brought me here. He is in control. Joseph is confident that God has been with him. Confident in God's sovereignty and his submission to God's sovereignty over all of those years is what enabled him to forgive his brothers. Joseph in his life has come to know over time and over the course of his life of living his life in the knowledge of the presence of God. Joseph has learned that his life and the lives of his brothers are in the hands of a good God who works out all things for good. This is the view of God that Joseph has. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph believed Romans 8.28 before it was ever even written by the Apostle Paul. Over time, God came to, or Joseph came to know the character of God. And that God was able to use him in all sorts of circumstances to be a blessing. God loved Joseph just as he was, but he loved him too much to leave him as he was. God took this arrogant and proud young man and made him into a humble person who was able to endure great suffering, who was able to work faithfully and to be a blessing when the opportunity arose, and who was also able to extend forgiveness to his brothers when they needed it. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. God loves us even while we were sinners. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? We are sinners and God loves us and this is an amazing and a precious truth. But what is also an amazing and precious truth is that he will not leave us as sinners He is at work in our lives to make us into different kinds of people. To not only forgive us of our sin, as if that wasn't enough, but also to set us free from our sin and to make us into new kinds of people who are able to walk in holiness and righteousness and to be a blessing to those around us. In the story of Joseph, we are reminded over and over again that the Lord was with Joseph. And the same is true for us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is with you. So I want to ask you today, do you live your life with an awareness of God's presence with you in every circumstance? While you are at work, do you do your work only to receive the recognition of other people? 
Or do you do your work recognizing that you do your work for God and that you do it in the presence of God and that God is at work in your heart as you do the work? He is equipping you for whatever work he has, maybe there in the workplace, maybe at some other place. And he is using you and your presence in your workplace to be a blessing to those around you. Do you live your life with an awareness of God's presence when the door is shut and when no one else is looking? Do you understand that when you sin, you do not only sin against yourself or against your spouse or against your children or against somebody else, but that you sin against God who is present with you at all times? And when you go through suffering and trials, do you know and believe that God is with you and that he wants to take the experience of those trials and the experience of that suffering and to turn it into good? Maybe to make you into a more humble person. Maybe to make you into a person who knows God is with you at all times. To make you into a person who can look back at your life and see the hand of God at every single place and to say God was there working out all things for his good. Do you live your life knowing that God wants to bless you so much, that he wants to make you the kind of person who is a blessing to others, that he wants to make you the kind of person who is even able to love and forgive your enemies? That's how strong and powerful a person that he wants to make you, a person who is able to love and forgive their enemy. God loves you as you are today. He loves you. But he loves you way too much to leave you as you are. He wants to do a good work in your heart so that in your life, you will be the kind of person who blesses others. We have seen throughout the book of Genesis that God does not give up on his purposes for us. Over and over again, human beings choose what is evil. Over and over again, you and I choose what is evil. Human beings made in the image of God, we were given this great calling to fill the earth with the glory of our good creator. But the book of Genesis tells us that we rebel against that purpose all of the time. We forget God. We choose ourselves. We prefer ourselves over our brothers. We love sin. We choose evil. We intend to harm God, and we intend to harm other people, and we intend to harm God's creation. But over and over again, God turns that evil into good. This seems to be the way of God in our world. Because we see that one day there would be a descendant of Abraham named Jesus who would come into the world and who would be a blessing to everyone that he met. But the religious leaders of his day and Satan himself intended to harm him, to get rid of him and to kill him by crucifying him on a cross. But Jesus said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To save people's lives. This act of violence and murder against this good and perfect man turned out to be, in the plans and purposes of God, the act that would save our lives. The death of Jesus became, in the plan and purposes of God, the sacrificial death that heals us, made it possible for our sins to be forgiven, and made it possible for us to live according to these good purposes that God set for us in the very beginning. Would you pray with me?
God, we give you thanks for this amazing story of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 50. How we could spend our entire lives in this book and learn so much about who you are and about your saving purposes for our world. So God, thank you for making us in your image and for giving us a good purpose. And God, we we ask that you would forgive us and have mercy on us for the ways, like our ancestors, that we have run away from you, that we've rejected you and your purposes for us, that we have not loved you with our whole hearts, that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. So, God, I ask that you would turn our hearts to you. Remind us, God, of the good purposes that you have set in place and set in motion in the world with the calling of Abraham. And, God, that we now join in this story as people who are part of the church. God, open our eyes to the riches of your word and to the depths of this story. And, God, help us to live faithfully to it. In Christ's name, amen.